Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Meow Ludo Meow Meow returns to talk about his implant. But first up, here's the news about power. The world's biggest battery in a hundred days, or it's free. The Premier of South Australia, Jay Wetherill, has taken Elon Musk up on his offer to build rechargeable battery storage for the state's electricity grid. The battery array will be three times larger than the world's next largest battery. It will store 129 megawatt hours and can deliver 100 megawatts of power. Musk has repeated his promise to build the battery in a hundred days or deliver it free of charge. In any electricity grid, there are peak times when there's a greater demand for electricity, like the hottest days of summer or the coldest nights of winter. Currently, all Australian states use natural gas turbines to make up the difference between demand and what power stations can actually deliver in a timely way. Coal power plants can't be started up or changed quickly. On the 28th of September 2016, demand for power rose, but the federal government-appointed Australian energy market operator chose not to order the gas turbines be switched on. This failure to act caused the market price of power in South Australia to soar and made a huge profit for the coal power companies. This also caused statewide blackouts. A state government-controlled battery that can smooth out the differences in supply and demand will lower the market prices of electricity and help prevent blackouts. The Premier has also budgeted for a state government-controlled gas turbine to supplement the battery. South Australia has the highest percentage of renewable energy feeding its power grid in Australia, 53%. The sun doesn't shine at night and wind strength can vary. So renewable power sources also need a quick source of power to make up the difference when demand exceeds supply, and a way to store power when supply exceeds demand. Gas turbines can respond with partial power to faults in the grid within 10 seconds, whereas batteries can respond with full power in milliseconds, giving the gas turbines time to wake up. 70 megawatts of the Tesla battery will be devoted to this function, so it's designed to last 10 minutes. The other 30 megawatts is devoted to load shifting for the Hornsdale wind farm. That is, it will store excess power from the wind farm until it needs to be delivered, and it can run for three hours. The 100 megawatt, 129 megawatt hour Tesla battery array will cover 100 metres by 100 metres around the size of a sports field and last 15 years. The battery is due to be finished by December 1st, 2017, or it's free. 
programmable dress. Electronic ink company E-Ink has collaborated with Dye Nippon Printing to make a dress that can change its pattern and colour at the push of a button. Is the dress blue or gold? You decide. Electronic ink displays are changed by computer command but don't need power to keep showing the last thing they were told to display. Electronic book readers use electronic ink displays to save power and to be easier on your eyes than liquid crystal displays. Traditionally, e-ink has been in black and white, but colour displays have been invented. The problem has been that compared to a liquid crystal display, the colours in the e-ink display were not vibrant. e-ink's innovation is making the displays on flexible plastic sheets instead of rigid glass. Dynipon Printing has taken these flexible plastic sheets and made them into strips on a dress. For now, the dresses for publicity are not available for retail. However, you can buy the flexible e-ink displays and use them to make your own. One commenter on Twitter claimed that they were from the future, where everybody wears electronic ink dresses with streaming video advertising because it's the only clothing they can afford. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Next up, emerging technology evangelist and biohacker, Meow Ludo Meow Meow. Two weeks ago, Emerging technology evangelist and biohacker Meow Ludo Meow Meow was invited onto national Australian TV, radio and online news to talk about having implanted in his hand an Opal transport card chip that he can use to pay for trains, buses and ferries on Sydney's public transport network instead of using a card. I visited him at the Australian Technology Park in Redfern and began by asking him, It's been two weeks since you showed the Australian media that you have an Opal chip implanted in your hand to ride the train. Opal man, what's happening now? Yeah, so some of the conversations now are shifting away from kind of the the novelty of the implant. And we're starting to talk about the, the rights of me, but also what other technologies are there around this. So a lot of the conversations that are going on online might start with an article about this popping up again and then we're seeing a lot of commentators are coming out now and having a lot of conversations on the Facebook feed and this includes quite a lot by a response from Amal Grafstra, the guy who made my implant. So he's engaging a lot with the actual technology, how does it work, what benefits might there be to it and what problems might there be with it and we're, we're talking about which protocols is it using now, why are some of the implants he's making superseding some of the implants and there was a lot of talk about I kind of stole Opal's thunder a little bit which I can imagine might not have made them the happiest because they just released the ability to use MasterCard as a way of paying for the ferry so you can just tap your MasterCard on catch the ferry and hop off so they had obviously been planning this for a long time and then I swooped in and (laughs) said I've they're in 2017 I'm in 3017 and grabbed something even more advanced so what we're talking about there is what are the 
benefits of this? What are the problems with this? So with MasterCard, they actually charge you an additional fee. What it does show is that they're starting to investigate architecture outside of their own proprietary architecture to interact with other NFC devices. And what they're doing is, from our understanding, is actually paving the way for any NFC device to be able to be used on their system. This is exciting because if they start to allow this, which MasterCard is a good first step, one of the biggest problems with allowing implantable technology is the damage it could potentially do to your brand. Not everyone's a big fan of microchips and vaccinations. I understand this, but it means that if a company decides to allow implantable technologies, even if they don't support it, just by allowing it, it has the potential to damage their brand. And this is one of the things that I'm acutely aware of. I think it's kind of a bit nonsense, but I can understand why a team of media people might say it's not worth the risk. Some brave company though is going to come out, and it might be Visa, it might be MasterCard, it might be OysterCard, and support it. And we're going to look at these people as being really innovative and forward thinking. And I think as long as it's not mandatory, why does anyone care? It's, it's a human right issue. I have bodily sovereignty. And this is where the conversation is going now. And a lot of people are saying, oh, no, your Opal card's been superseded. Now you're going to have to get another chip. And I think these are the good conversations to have, is how do we deal with things like obsolescence in a world of implantable technologies? Ever been into an office building? They use standard old RFID, not even NFC, to enter buildings. And it's been like that for 30 years. So we know that it takes a long time for people to adopt a technology, and then when it's there, it takes a long time for them to upgrade to anything else. The MBN is a prime example of this. <laughs> but there's other technologies. Once a protocol works, they don't like to change it. All of our banking runs on a series of protocols called rails. That's the things that power transactions. They haven't changed since the 80s. They know the writing's on the wall. The banks have to change this to keep up with more agile technologies like cryptocurrencies. But they're very hesitant to because if there's a mistake in what they do or the, the code has an error in it, trillions of dollars could be lost. So you can understand their hesitance. And it's this hesitance to adopt new technologies on a large scale that actually gives security to my implants, that I know these technologies are going to be around for a while because everybody's phone has an NFC reader in it now. That means that they're going to be hesitant to adopt a new technology that supersedes that because then they have to remake everything. So you, I've got at least 10 good years. <laughs> MasterCard is a funny thing for them to go to an advance because it's just another card. I'm surprised they didn't just jump to people being able to pay for ferry trips with their phone. Yeah, so I think the ability of being able to use a MasterCard says that they trust in the security system of the MasterCard technology, which they're both using similar technology. So this is Desfire. So I'm just going to cover quickly the, the things that we call protocols that these run on, because this is where, where a lot of the conversation is happening. So when electronic devices speak to each other, they kind of have to speak in the same language. There's a, there's a set of rules that govern that, and they're called protocols. They're basically like, we're going to communicate in 20 characters at a time, and I'm going to wait until I hear from you before I send one back, things like this. The ones that NFC uses, so there's anything that's kind of tap, is my fair. I have an implant in my thumb that uses MyFair Classic. The one underneath my wrist uses MyFair Classic as well. There's a MyFair Ultralight protocol that some of these use. And things like Opal PayWave, MasterCard, the, more, the things that require quite a lot of security, it's called Desfire. And that's a, a set of instructions that sits on top of MyFair. So they're still communicating in MyFair, but the actual transactions are kind of encrypted through the Desfire layer to make sure that no one listening in can intercept the information and then put forward fraudulent transactions and things like this. My MyFair normal chips 
have my business card on there. I'm not too worried about someone intercepting that because I'm actually giving them my information. With the, a, a payment, for example, you want to make sure that no one can steal that and then replicate that payment or something. So that's why we're talking Desfire. So MasterCard used Desfire and Opal used Desfire. So they're all using this encryption method, but the actual encryption themselves is a little bit different. So it's very easy for Opal to let MasterCard onto their network because the readers can understand Desfire. All they're doing is inputting an extra set of rules to understand the MasterCard encryption. And so here's a little technical question. How do you top up your hand for Opal? Everyone wants to know this. I was thinking about doing it today. So I haven't had to top up yet, but there's a few different ways. So I could register it, which would probably be a very bad move for me because Transport New South Wales would shut it down and I could top it up. I think I can top up from my phone. I'm not sure whether it needs to be registered or not, but I can also top up using a machine. So there's machines. One of the interesting things is the act of me tapping my hand is almost exactly the same as tapping it with a card. I tap my hand every day on the machine and nobody notices. Everyone kind of assumes that I've got a card. So it's, it's kind of an invisible process. It's just lost in the normality of catching trains. So I imagine topping up, I can put my hand where you would put your card and I should be able to easily do this transaction. Uh, I'm a bit worried though, if they take my name off the card used to top it up, they could actually kind of track me down. I shouldn't give them all these ideas to find me. But there is that big question. If they, so they, they've let me know that if, if they do find the one in my hand, they're going to shut it down. And the big way they did this was by cancelling the one that was registered to me. And this leads into a bigger problem. So for people who are listening who maybe aren't from Australia, when Opal was first introduced, there was a big question over privacy. So we had to have our tickets, which used to be just anonymous paper tickets, encoded with our name. And people were worried about the ability for the government to be able to track where we're moving. So they... Opal and or Transport New South Wales said that we will allow you to either register your card or buy an anonymous card from a news agent that doesn't have to be registered. Now, I had my card registered. I had to because of a special condition. I'm on a pension card. They forced me to register. And the second the news story broke, they cancelled that card, even though that card hasn't been tampered with or voided any of the terms of service. So this is a worry because they're trying to control me using my name. They thought that was the one that I had implanted in my hand. But if they can link this, I'll have no way to catch public transport. Or it will be very, very difficult. I'll have to buy individual tickets every time I go, which it doesn't always work. There's inherent problems with that. But our worst fears are kind of realized because they said, oh, no, we're never going to use your name against you. And that's exactly what they've done in this case, which is a betrayal to the public. Because most of the public that I've seen and interacted with is actually supportive of what I've done. You know, about 80% of people are really in favor. And they, they say, basically, why do they even care? <laughs> this is the big thing. Who, it's, I'm catching a train. <laughs> like, well, this is the thing, right? So why should they care? Yes, there's a technical term and condition. And the reason they would have put the term and condition for you to not interfere with an Opal card would have been simply to avoid fraud, to stop people riding the trains and buses without paying. But since you're paying and you're not proposing any way to not pay, there's no rational reason for them to not... I can't see any reason for them to care how you pay for it and how you go through the system. You're not hurting anything. And this actually ties in to this argument that people have against hackers. So I'm putting forward innovative ways of doing public transport. Now, if they shut down my chip, I have scientific papers on how to crack their encryption. 
So if I have a useless piece of technology in my body, the only reason I'm ever going to hack my Opal chip is if they deactivate it. And then I'm going to be able to start understanding their encryption mechanisms. So they kind of put you into a corner. Now there's a good case of someone else doing something similar in Perth, in Western Australia. There was a university student who decrypted the encryption used on the tickets that you use to ride public transport. To test this, he went on a bus and he made $16 worth of transactions, then contacted them and said, you've got a flaw in your security. I've found it. I've proved that it works on the system. Here's all the information you need to fix it. They took him to court. And this is a white hat hacker. This is someone that's trying to help the system. But the, the end user, but you broke the rules. So guess what? You're a criminal and you, you're going to be in trouble. And, and this, is, this is nonsense. And the thing is, the reason that they're doing this is they are convinced that they own the card, they own the technology. If you get a permanent marker and write on your Opal card, you can get in as much trouble as I did, which is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous because you don't own the technology and this is a fundamental right. I think if we buy stuff, we should have access to it. If, I, if, you, don't, if you can't open it, you don't own it. So this is the right to repair. Right. And one of the key things with these anonymous cards that you buy from a newsagent is that Opal don't want it back when you're done with it. Yeah, well, they're not getting it back from me whether they like it or not. <laughs> but I mean, right now, if I go and buy an anonymous card, I put $20 on it and I use up the $20, I can throw it away. There's no requirement for me to return the property to Opal. They don't value it. Yeah, so there's actually some interesting hacks that people have done, which is more like a social engineering type hack, which is going to the airport is actually very expensive. So when you hop on a train, they don't know which destination you're going to. So you can take a card with a dollar or two dollars on there and it might be $16 to catch the train or $20 to catch the train to the airport. But it has to let you swipe off. So a lot of people collect all these low value cards and whenever they go to the airport, it lets them swipe off and they chuck a card in negative money into the bin. They should love my chip. There's no way I'm ever gonna chuck this in the bin. So. It's kind of crazy because I'm solving some problems that they're interested in but not really addressing. And I think more, more importantly, it's people should be able to reimagine and remix things as long as they're not breaking the real rules, which is I'm not stealing. I'm actually paying a premium. I'm using an, a, a different class of ticket to travel. And instead, I feel like a criminal every time I'm going on the train. I had to jump off the train today because the transit officers jumped onto my carriage and I was scared of them giving me a fine because I had this interview. <laughs> so if you did a deal with MasterCard or one of the other NFC providers, or if, say, the technology got cheaper and you ended up with some phone technology in your hand, isn't there an opportunity for a company to get a lot of positive publicity while still allowing you to pay for things? It's actually in the works right now. So there's some startups which are actually looking at consolidating all of your NFC cards into one device. Amal Grafstra from Dangerous Things has partnered with Fidesmo and that's one of these companies. Now, if Fidesmo partners with other payment providers, they by default are able to use them across the board. So, so um, Amal is basically the vector, so he's making the NFC device and then other companies, say for example Transport New South Wales might contact Fidesmo and be able to offer their service and they just connect the people making the NFC devices to the service. Now, if because Amal from Dangerous Things partnered with Fidesmo earlier on, it means that every other person that comes on has to allow their payments using his NFC device because they're not going to cancel their contract with Amal. So one payment provider makes it with them. They kind of are subtly able to allow people to make payments using an implant without them themselves taking on the risk that it might affect their branding. And 
maybe one of the payment providers, a big one, already has. I don't know for sure. Stay tuned for that one. So the other thing is, if there are already apps you can run on your phone for all these payment systems, right, using the NFC in your phone, so they don't care about the hardware. So if you had an Android device with NFC buried in your hand, couldn't you just run whatever apps you wanted, MasterCard or whoever, and just make the payments and they wouldn't have a say because they don't own the hardware? I'm very glad you asked that because there's a very exciting new chip coming out. This one is going to blow everything out of the water. So if you've been waiting until the technology is mature enough, VivoKey by Dangerous Things is the chip you've been waiting for. It has about a megabyte of data on it. It has decent, really decent aerial for powering it. It can do two-factor authentication on chip and it runs Java card. So what it does is it listens for which application is requesting the information and then sends it the right one. So if you're at a cafe, it's like, oh, you're requesting money. I'll give you the MasterCard information. I go on a public transport. Oh, you're requesting Opal information. I'll send you the public transport information. Oh, I'm at the airport. You need my passport information. So it, it basically intelligently switches between which data it sends. So with some of the other ones now, you actually have to dial up from your phone which data it sends. This is an even more advanced version and it will be coming out the next year. In fact, I might have one in the next couple of months if I'm lucky because I might be visiting Amal Grafstra. He's about to have a baby though. So congratulations to Amal if, if that makes it in. Yeah, good on him. But yeah, I'm going to go and visit him at the end of the month after DEF CON if he's had the baby early, which I hope they do because I can go over and hang out with him for a couple of days. But if it's a few days after the baby's been born, I'm going to be heading back to San Francisco. But I will be hanging out with uh, Jackson Palmer, the founder and creator of Dogecoin, which should be lots of fun. I might come back at Dogeillionaire. You never know. If I get all my shibbies, hook them up. We can all go to the moon. Millions of Doge. <laughs> and Java card, is that the language people should learn if they want to get into the implant world? I think the best thing to do is get some NFC chips. You can buy them really cheap, just, just not, not necessarily implantable ones, just regular tokens. They might say something like tap here. The best way to get started is to buy some of these chips, download some of the free NFC writing applications and play with the technology rather than worrying about the coding. This is how I, I would start. I would see where is it useful and where isn't it useful. So you can make a, an NFC tag that has your internet password on there. So if your friends come over, they can tap their phone. See whether that's easier than making a simple password that can't be broken easily in your apartment block. Play around with the technology, find out where it's useful. Once it's useful, pick up the language that's best for that specific application. Because you want, realistically, you want to be a generalist. So if you're interested in the technology, the best thing to do is understand NFC. If you can understand NFC, where, where it's, because there's a lot of places it's useless. I always think, I've got this implant and I'm using it to do a job. Wouldn't it just be easier to have a button? And if a button can solve the problem as effectively as an implant, put a button. But sometimes I don't want everyone to be able to push that button, in which case I might want the authority of a unique idea on an implant to stop people from doing that. Um, buttons might not work underwater. My hand does work underwater. Uh, it doesn't work in the shower, for example. So there might be a way that, is there something I need to do while I'm having a shave or getting, getting ready? Maybe it's accessing emails or stock accounts that I have some cracks in, in my day, so little bits of spare time, but I don't want everyone in my bathroom being able to see my stock portfolio. So that might be a way that I could easily, while I'm you know, getting dressed or wet or not, not having my wallet on me, interact with that. 
It might even just be as simple as it knows when I'm hopping in the shower, so it plays my favorite music without me having to push a button. But um, a button does that pretty well anyway, and I think a shower radio solved that problem in, you know, decades ago. Yeah, so I'm really excited for DEF CON, which is coming up. Please keep an eye out for it. Feel free to follow my personal Facebook page. I get lots of friend requests, but if you follow every post I make is public, I'm more than happy for you, for you to jump on. I'm gonna be live streaming heaps of stuff that's coming out there. There's gonna be hackers from all around the world. Some of the most exciting grinders and biohackers are gonna be at that. That's 28th to the 30th of July. And I'll be doing some stuff in San Francisco around that. So if you're interested in watching short little live streams, please jump on and uh, follow what I'm up to. Meow, thank you so much. No worries, it's been my pleasure. That was Meow Ludo Meow Meow, talking about paying for riding on public transport with a chip implanted in his hand. Listen next week for Meow's latest biohacking adventures. You can find out about workshops and courses run at the BioFoundry by looking online at foundry.bio. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the website. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Support the show at patreon.com slash Diffusion Radio. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed this show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.